Hello, happy Wednesday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team for the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We got a big show coming up. Uh, Harmon Dial is going to join us in about half an hour. Jeff Merrick towards the end of the show. But, of course, we got to start with the Canucks losing 5-2 against the Kraken at Rogers Arena last night. And more than what played out on the ice per se, although there's some interesting things there just in terms of the listlessness was there? that the Canucks showed. Well, yes, interesting, not in a positive sense, but in a, oh, that was uh, that was not an inspiring effort I thought the in Kra- that sense. I thought the Kraken played an interesting game. I thought the Kraken were really sloppy in the first period and then played a lot better uh, as the game progressed, but... They were playing against a very uninterested Canucks team. So, yeah, I, uh, hard to measure exactly what we saw from I don't Seattle. Think they were sloppy with the puck. They were sloppy defensively. But but I mean, really, it felt to me like they got they got pinned on a shift, and Patterson made a world class play. To like that goal was created out of yeah, it was nothing. awesome, out of nothing by Patterson. Unbelievable stuff. Um, I know I know Kuzmenko had like an, a nice deke, but let's be real, he lost the handle. <laughs> People are like, look at this dynamic duo. It's like, he lost the handle. What are you talking about? Pedersen created a goal out of nothing. Stop it. And then what? The Connor Garland. Two unbelievable individual plays. Mm-hmm. Gave the, spotted the Canucks a 2-0 lead. I, I thought the Kraken looked good. I really did. I, I, I was pretty impressed by the speed um, and, and simplicity with which they played. I, I came away really impressed. I think they're going to be a way tougher playoff opponent than, you know, the first place central team is <laughs> likely to expect their depth definitely played and showed up. Last oh night, man. Right. Like the whole idea of not having any weak spots that you could see that in the way they played. Rick Tockett talked about it after the game. Rick Tockett had a lot to say after the game. And that was really the most interesting part of last night. Extremely unimpressed. I think it's fair to say with what he saw from his team, some of the harshest commentary we've heard from Rick Tockett since becoming since, the head coach. Since the last time they played Seattle. Really, since the last time they played Seattle. But <laughs> it's different because that one was Rick Tockett kind of getting a handle on, okay, this is what I'm stepping into. These are the problems we need to address. Yes, it was harsh. Yes, it was cutting. But there's also kind of a, well, now I know what we need to fix, and I'm going to go about trying to fix it, Calm, uh, tone to it. Last night, it's... The disappointment of, oh, man, I thought we were past this. Or I thought we were making really positive steps. And then all of a sudden, he's back to, you know, questioning the preparation that the players. They had a day off the day before the game. Tockett says, well, maybe we need to go back to babysitting and having fewer days off, right? The professionalism and the big one, the body language, the mental toughness of his team. Uh, let, let's just play the clip from Rick Tockett before we really get into the conversation. There's so much to get into here, but here is Rick Tockett talking about body language and mental weakness. I think Millsy was that frustrated. He missed that breakaway, I guess. I don't know. I didn't ask him. Something like that. But yeah, body language is uh, something that you can control. And it's, uh, you know, it hasn't been, I thought we'd been getting better at it, but it's, you know, it's not going to creep back in. It won't. I'm not going to allow it because body language is just a, is not mental toughness. 
it's weak it's weak-minded people when you have body language like that you know one and done if you do it once in a blue moon i get it we, I, you know we've all done it but it's got to be once in a blue moon you can't have a steady die of it because to me uh i forget what coach just was great he, he had a whole thing i think it was calipari on body language how it's it's really a good kind of press conference he talked about talked about it and it's it's a weakness a mental weakness when you have bad body language all the time. That is head coach Rick Tockett. It's a mental weakness when you have bad body language all the time. And, man, there's a lot to get into there. Like, the direct thing he's responding to is JT Miller leaving the bench early at the second period after uh, after missing a breakaway or Matty Beneers defending him on a breakaway, leaving with about 40 seconds left. But... The thing that I keep thinking about and I keep coming back to Drancer is Tockett says, okay, we're not going to let that creep back in. It's not going to under my watch. And I think I completely believe him that he's going to make it a huge priority to stamp that kind of thing out. I just wonder, is that a big, like, is that too big a job for any individual coach to kind of change the DNA of how a team operates like that? That's the big concern for me. And I actually think it's very, see, the thing is though, is like, does a team operate? Like that? Have we had a lot of other incidents like that stemming from a multitude well, of players? Well, I don't or know is about a, is... like that, but there's been plenty of incidents where of people body checked language. out of sure. bad body language, right? Of a lack of professionalism, making ma- mi- mistakes. Sure, all but of those in terms things. of the in terms of viral back checks or sticks broken, uh, uh, slammed against the net, like it's it's doesn't feel like a team problem to me. Sure, but there's two things there, right? There's I've the, never there's... seen I've never seen a guy leave a period early if they weren't hurt. I've I've never seen it. So you know, I guess where I'd challenge you on it in in terms of the formulation you've just taken there is like, if it was a team wide issue, I'd say no, that's too big a task for a coach, and that needs to come from the room. But if it's an individual player thing, if there's like one player in particular who needs to be better in this area then a coach has an awful lot of levers at their disposal to influence behavior. Yeah, one, so one, of them, one of them, by the way, is not sugarcoating their commentary about what happened publicly. Which I think Rick Tockett deserves a lot of credit for doing that. I agree right? He you. did not sugarcoat it at all, and he's been very direct in general with his comments uh, to the media about the team, good or bad, positive or negative. You don't have to really read between the lines when you're trying to decipher what Rick Tockett means. And yeah, that was extremely direct and extremely pointed without seeming like unfair or gratuitous, right? It wasn't piling on. It was just a very direct and a very straightforward assessment of something he saw as a problem. So there's two things here, right? There's Because you're right about the body language, where most of the examples are coming from, where the leaving the bench one is coming from. But then there's also the question of bad habits on the ice, lack of professionalism, preparing for games. That, to me, I think it is very fair to say is a team-wide thing. Sure. Right? Like, that is not limited to one player. So... Yes, maybe you can just look at it and say, well, the body language thing is really just a JT Miller thing. But the overall conversation we're having, I think, and that Rick Tockett was alluding to at various points, or not alluding to, but just commenting on uh, at various points in his pressure yesterday is just the, the, I think professionalism is probably the best one word to sum it up, right? Just the overall like preparation, work ethic, how you play the game, habits, all of those things falling under the umbrella of professionalism. Can Rick Tockett and a new coaching staff change that to a degree where this team can be
be a legitimate playoff contender consistently, right? And I, I do think there's something actually, and I know Bruff made this point on the morning show as well, there's something actually to me very positive about having a game like last night and a press conference from Rick Tockett like last night late in the season because nobody should be under any illusions about what this team is, right? And the, the task is still at hand. And I think it would have been maybe a little easy to fall under uh, some of those illusions if they had, you know, kept the Tockett bump going right to the end of the season. But I think now that Tockett has seen this kind of backsliding, based on his commentary yesterday, I think he's going to go into next year fully cognizant of the challenge that faces him, right? The challenge of really changing the DNA of this team, changing how they prepare. And yes, you can say that a lot of it comes down to JT Miller. I think that's fair in a lot of respects, but it's a team-wide thing too. And at least now we kind of have that reminder that, man, there is still a ton of work to be done. And again, I just, I, I don't know if it's a, if it's a job that coaching is going to be sufficient to change. I just don't understand why we needed a reminder when, you know, like, for me, it's not just about the second period or whatever happened there. Mm-hmm. Because I still don't really know, right? I mean, I asked JT Miller about it, but he uh, sort of deferred on answering it. I think he was probably surprised it was noticed, right? Maybe it's not a huge deal in the room. But we're also talking about a player who called his teammates soft following their loss on Tuesday. And that kind of changes things too, right? Like, it's hard to lead if you're not doing the right things. It's one thing to call out your teammates for being soft if you're competing like Nathan McKinnon. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to do it on Sunday and then on Tuesday leave the bench after missing a breakaway opportunity. Like, that's a very different set of facts here. And, you know, for me, it's not even about talk it. It's about this core group. Like, one consistent part of my analysis, I think, has been that while I accept that there are really good players on the Canucks, I don't think I'm as moved by the excellence as the core, generally speaking, as a lot of people in this market, a lot of analysts in this market, and certainly the organization itself, which sort of responded to pointed questions about their deadline posture by just reeling off the names of the five or six really good players that they employ. Right? Like, one thing for me that yesterday reminded me of was... And, and it's not like a reminder and that I'd forgotten. Right. But it's a, it reinforces a certain idea. Well, I think it, first of all, speaks to the possibility that the emphasis on culture and structure might prove to be hollow. That, like, maybe you can get a leopard to change their stripes for five weeks. But the persistent issues resurfacing, both in terms of this team's defensive play. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that Eberly breakaway in the first period. Didn't result in the goal, so I'm sure people. I'm yeah, the kind of half break where he's on the wing. Yeah, it wasn't half breakaway. It was well, miles. It was, it was not a like in behind center uh, from center of ice, right? Like it was. It was not a clear cut breakaway, but it was a bad defensive. Go play. watch. We the don't tape. need. We don't need to argue about it because I'm not saying it wasn't a bad play. It was a bad. Go play. Go watch the tape. Um, <laughs> we, we don't need to argue about it. It's like, oh yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for me, it's it's not about the reminder so much as it's the persistence of a question that I've long had about this core, which is I know that Vancouver has good players. Mm -hmm. Do the skill sets of those good players combine in a way that leads to winning? And is this group resilient enough 
to actually win over an 82-game season because when you have moments where you completely lose your composure, as it certainly seemed like the Canucks did at the end of the second period with Miller, but then the entire team in the third. Yeah. Right? Like, just brutally flat. Completely listless. Like, what, one one shot through however many minutes or something with four Ugly. minutes of power play time? Like, like really tough. Like, Rick Tockett referred to the team not being into it. It's like, maybe not even in the building. Like, it was wild. And And for me, this sort of comes back to a thing that we've seen repeatedly, which is, when this team gets on a run, when times are good, when they feel good about themselves, they can sustain it for a bit. We've seen it the last six weeks. We certainly saw it down the stretch last season. Mm-hmm. We even saw it in March of 2021, right, where this team had a really good month behind an elite goaltender. When they're getting the saves and they're feeling good about themselves, this team can look pretty compelling for four or five weeks, sometimes four, four or five months. And that those moments, those like oasis moments in a desert of mediocrity have sustained the camels that are Canucks fans <laughs> in terms of a, a, a small glimmer of promise. And yet what this team hasn't been able to do is stem the tide when things are going badly. Like repeatedly, when this team starts performing poorly, it feels like fingers are pointed, goaltending's blamed, whatever. But they can't put together that like two or three game stretch where it's like you lose but you lose in overtime or you lose by one goal and you outworked the opponent and you start to feel like hey this is gonna come around and it's like it still doesn't because it's hockey and hockey's a cruel game and at the end of a six game stretch where you're absolutely running uphill and everything's going against you you're still three and three and your season hasn't been completely torched and because you pulled out of that you then get hot as anything mm. for 15 games and cement yourself as a playoff team. Like that's the resilience that we haven't seen this group show. And and when you have sunshine Patriot moments, like they did the other day. And by sunshine Patriot, I mean, you're brave in the sunshine, right? You're, you, you have courage when things are going your way, but can you arrest it when they're not right? And, and that was sort of, um, I, I I'm not sure if we have the Calipari clip cued. Dom, do we got it ready to go? Because I want to, I want to, I, I do want to play this Calipari clip because Talkit referred to it specifically, yeah. and that's really what Calipari is talking about. It's not about body language the way we think about it. It's about the moment where everything's going against you, where you're brutally unlucky, where where you find a way to still contribute to winning, and and to me. Last night was just a reminder, like, we haven't seen this core group show that level of adult, you know, stick to as a as a team to at, at any point. And at what point does that become something that's true about them? Mm-hmm. Like, at what point do we believe what we're being shown? Because I hit that point like a year and a half ago. Obviously, the organization hasn't hit that point. I think fans are getting there. Let's hear the uh, let's hear the Calipari clip because I I, I want to get into it more. This is Coach John Calipari, uh, of course, uh, head coach of the Kentucky the, the, basketball. The clip, team. yeah, and the clip that Talkit was uh, was it, alluding is, to. Yeah, Talkit referenced it specifically. Here, here it is. Some of it is how you think. Um, I'll give an example. We had a kid here in 2012 that went one for eight or one for seven in the national championship game and walked in at halftime and was tough enough to say, I can't make a shot, I'm going to get every rebound, and I'm going to block every ball. Duran, you score. Uh, Darius, make shots. Michael, you guys go do it. Uh, Marcus T, go do your thing. I'm going to do mine blocking and rebounding. 
That's a tough player. So in versus walking in with the body language that I can't make a shot today, I can't believe this, and looking for, you have no toughness. You have no toughness. Tough player deals with what's there and responds to it. So I'm talking a lot about body language because it, body language screams. It screams for everybody to see. Head down, this. And in most cases, it's an immaturity thing. But the second part of it is a little lack of toughness, mental toughness, that I'm not getting broken down because I missed a couple shots or I fumbled a ball or I missed a free throw. I don't care. I'm tough. It's, I didn't think I had to teach them this, but I pulled out the toughness sheet and we read what toughness is. And as I read them to them, are we that? No. Are we this? No. Are we that? No. Are we this, this, this? No. Do we talk? No. And so my point to them is how we think has to change if you want how you're playing to change, how you approach this stuff. So I've had to do this with every team, probably more so with this team. But I've not had a team this young before. That is Coach John Calipari, uh, University of Kentucky, and, of course, longtime, very successful college basketball coach. The line at the end there, Drancer, and there's a, it's a really interesting clip. I can see why Talkett referenced it. The line towards the end, how we think needs to change. Like, that sums it up to me, right? There's clearly something about how this team thinks, and it's not just JT Miller. It's him, yes, but I think there's clearly something about how this team thinks that needs to change if we're going to see different results. And I like I keep coming back to, you know, you and I, we rattle off like, oh, they don't have cap space and their prospect system is bad and yada, yada. And for all these reasons, they need to rebuild the, the old checklist. Yeah, and that's true. And those are all like tangible kind of hard fact reasons. But I just keep coming back to this idea of something being off inherently. Right. And to me, more than anything, like that speaks to the need for a clean slate. Are you going to be able to change how this team thinks on mass? with kind of piecemeal changes to the roster, with a different coaching style, or does it need a reset? Does it need a legitimate, clean slate for that to change? And again, if you can't, if you can't like keep it together and play hard for the new coach and buy in for March and April for the final six weeks of the season, you're going to be able to do it for 82 games next year? Because this is a team that needs to be really close to the top of their game for 82 games to make the playoffs. Like, they can't afford to have a bad 15-game stretch and miss the playoffs. And if you can't do it here, you can be able to do it all of next season. Remember what I said after the Toronto win? If this team could compete like this 50 games a year, I'd be changing my tune about them. Mm -hmm. Have we seen it since? You know, like, the overwhelming arrogance of this organization to assume that a, a new coach simply can change the stripes of a group that we've seen perform in the same way under three different bench bosses now for three years? Like, it's hard to fathom. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's like, like, it's truly a level of arrogance that makes Mike Gillis look like Scott Rintoul. That's the first time that comparison has ever been made. Like, truly, it's... Like, I, 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 I honestly am aghast at the idea that this organization has conducted themselves in this manner, has committed once again to a group of players who continue to show us who they are. Like, it is just one of the most preposterously arrogant pieces of team building I've ever seen in the NHL. And when you compound it with the fact that this team's behaving in a way, unlike every other team around them at the deadline, buying the way they did, 
using cap space and committing cap space the way they have? Like, this organization thinks it's the smartest organization in the room. They, they say all the time, we're not the smartest guys in the room. Well, why do you carry yourself like you are? Like, you're sure you are. I mean, honestly, I really struggle with it. It's, it I can't bring myself to a place where I'm like, and this will work out. And I have trust in this direction. So long as all of these different strings are, are being pulled in a way that just does not add up or make a lick of common sense. And I actually feel, I feel kind of bad for Talkit in a way because, like, I've I've been impressed by and large with the commentary oh, he's, well. he's had. Yep, he seems to be approaching things the right so, way. Sorry, it just might team, be too big a job. The team's also responded for the most part. Like yeah, one has. one thing I'd say is like the slow line changes. Like all of the things that they talked about were gone. Like for four or five weeks, this team was on its best behavior. It's just that over the course of the last week, we've seen the defensive slippage. Mm-hmm. Right, we've seen now the composure slippage, and the comparison I would make is actually, and we, we've made this comparison between the two teams before. But look at the Winnipeg Jets over the last year or so, even going back to all of last year. Right now, Winnipeg, they're probably going to make the playoffs thanks to an, an absolutely epic choke job uh, by the Calgary Flames. Here, they're going to hold on and make the playoffs in all likelihood by the skin of their teeth. But you think back to how last season went for Winnipeg, right? Extremely disappointing. And the the kind of malaise and bad vibes that were very obvious and in, out in public in Winnipeg last year. You know, co- questions about Shifley, questions about Wheeler, the fit of the team, all of that. They make a coaching change. They don't really make any significant roster moves, despite the fact that we thought there could be a good chance of that. But they make the coaching change. And hey. It looks like it's working, right? And they're getting saves from Hellebuck, and they're at near the top of the Western Conference, and that's great. But you can't sustain it for a whole season. Like, the coaching change in and of itself was not enough to change what's actually wrong with the Winnipeg Jets. And we've started to see that over the last two or three months, where, like, Rick Bonus did not magically come in and change everything, despite the fact that he's a good coach, despite the fact well, that he did get them pointed in the right direction, because there's these underlying issues that haven't actually been addressed. Or did he? Or did they have elite goaltending? Well, that's and what everyone... I mean. They were getting saves from Connor Hellebuck, yeah. and that's another similarity, right? But, I mean, It looks good when you're getting the saves, but does it actually address the underlying issues that are there? Well, and that's the relationship between Canucks team save percentage and faith in this core, right? Like, it's like 100% correlated <laughs> if you look over the last three years. Anyway, for me, it was just a reminder of what I'm so concerned about, which, to be honest, isn't even about the checklist, as you, as you quite rightly noted, but is instead about whether or not this group can compose themselves to overcome the adversity that you inevitably face and have to overcome if you're going to get to where this team wants to go in the short term. The Calipari quote, right? We need to change how we think needs to change. And that's that's the question right now. With the path that the Canucks are on and they've chosen to take, can the way the team thinks change to a degree so we don't have this experience, so we don't have more coaches coming in in the future saying the same things about this team? Uh, Dom, did you have an update from Canucks practice? For us, that uh, that you're just in my ear up. Randy Jana just tweeting out live from Canucks practice. No Quinn Hughes today. All right, interesting. So we will. Uh, Canucks just started practice uh, moments ago, so we will wait and see if there's any update there uh, about Quinn Hughes's status. Uh, but joining us next, also 
covering the Canucks for the Athletic Harmon Dial, uh, stops by 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DumbarLumber.com. And, of course, you can always get uh, your texts in as well. We'll uh, read them throughout the course of the show. Uh, Lots of commentary and thoughts coming in about the need for change, serious change, uh, which, yes, I think is a pretty key takeaway from last night, certainly. Uh, now joining us to talk a little bit about last night uh, and maybe some of the Canucks prospect system as well, which I know has been a big focus at The Athletic this week. He writes for The Athletic. He is Harmon Dial. Harmon, thank you, thank you as always. How are you? Pretty good. How are you guys? We're doing well. Uh, what was your reaction to uh, what Rick Tockett had to say, the many interesting things that Rick, Ta- Rick Tockett had to say about his team last night? Yeah, well, it was a disappointing effort, right? I mean, at this point, the wins and losses don't matter, but clearly this team is trying to change the the culture and habits of this group. And part of that comes with a certain standard in terms of uh, the effort and energy that you want to see out of players, right? I don't, I don't think anybody would have been disappointed that they lost to the Seattle Kraken who are bound for playoffs. It's how dispiriting that uh, that effort sort of looked. On the other hand, you can sort of, understand that okay it's the first game after being mathematically eliminated so you are inevitably going to not have you know as much juice um but that's where the response matters right like you can have okay like one effort like that flush flush it down but then you need to bounce back especially because i think for this group to really make a dent in terms of fixing a lot of the habits the professionalism uh, the structure it needs to be like that needs to be your your sort of baseline that you're trying to maintain. So I'm I'm going to be really curious to see what type of response we see again, not necessarily in terms of a, a win or loss or uh, the, the the performance itself in terms of um, how they control play or anything, but more so just in terms of the effort, the output, how many battles are they win- winning, uh, how do they how do they look skating wise, uh, and and so that'll be interesting to see against uh, Chicago. So, Harmon, you know me well enough to know that I will celebrate all losses at this time of year. And yet, does a performance like that matter more for an organization that's billing the importance of culture and structure for next season down the stretch? Like, does the organization's own stated goals make a performance like that more unacceptable? If it continues, yes. Again, I I think considering that they were just mathematically eliminated and considering this has been a really long season with a lot of emotional turbulence as well, all the storylines, you can understand how, you know, even with a lot of the changes and and all these demands with the new new coach coming in, like that's a lot to go through for for a group and endless drama that's been going around for most of the season. So with the finish line close in sight, you can, 
like you can understand why you know you have a game like that where guys are letting off the gas but again that's where I think you can excuse it once you can't excuse it twice uh, especially moving down the stretch so again that's why I'm really really curious to look at the response or or, or the bounce back and and see what we can sort of learn from, from that because again if they look flat again if there isn't much of a response uh, after that especially even after the LA game where um, there were words like softer being tossed around and that's where you're like, okay, like that's, that's not a good, good, um, good sign. Do you have any concerns about the resilience of this core group, given how the last three seasons have unfolded? Yeah, I mean, I do. They have to prove that when the games matter, that when the pressure's on the line, that they you know, that they, that they can come clutch, right? Uh, we've seen twice now. I mean, the fact of the matter is you look at this season, right? The way that they started, everybody had been talking about September, in September, how important it is to get off to, to, to uh, a positive start, not dig a hole, especially because that's essentially what derailed them last season under Travis Green at the start. So everybody knew that you had to come out of the gate sort of firing on all cylinders and, it wasn't just that they sort of went 0-5 on, on that road trip and were in a position where by the time they got back on home ice and lost that game against Buffalo as well, that they're already being uh, booed. Um, and that in the middle of that road trip as well, they had to have a players-only meeting. But it was the way that they were blowing leads and just weren't able to handle that level of, of pressure that when one thing went wrong, everything else sort of um, fell apart. And that's... That, that, that's an area that we, we won't learn anything about whether they've improved in that area or not until um, this coming fall when, again, the, the expectations will be there. Because, look, it, it's one thing to sort of come together and play a consistent style when, um, you know, there, aren't, there isn't a whole lot at stake. It's another to do it when um, you've got a team that's pushed its chips into the middle of the table and is clearly making uh, an indication that um, winning sort of matters in the short term as well. In conversation with Harmon Dial here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Uh, what have you seen? I, I know Rick Tockett has had some positive things to say about him, but uh, from Akito Hirose in his first couple of tastes of NHL action. Yeah, I really like his um, escapability in tight spaces. I think that's his biggest asset is deep in the defensive zone. A lot of times when a loose puck becomes available, uh, or there's a sort of change change in possession and there's a, a slight opportunity where, you know, there are a bunch of guys sort of around the puck. Arose seems to have the agility to, um, with this quickly sort of change direction and um, create just a, that little bit of separation from a forechecker with the first two steps to sort of um, give himself the time and space to make a controlled play with the puck. So when you combine that agility with, I see a player, player who's really poised uh, and confident with the puck, who is capable of sort of hanging on to it for a second longer so that he makes the right decision as opposed to simply looking for the first option that, uh, that he sees to sort of pump the puck out. So that composure, I think, is, um, you know, definitely, definitely shines as an asset. And it's what you need to see, right? Like, he's going to be 24 pretty soon. There isn't a whole lot of development runway so you wanted to see him sort of come in and show that he's that that he's able to sort of um, not look out of place in an NHL environment, and um, and yeah, he's exceeded my expectations so far. It's been encouraging. 
What about Aiden McDonough, Harmon? There was one str- one shift late in the second before things really unraveled on the Canucks where those two in particular combined to kind of drive a, a heavy offensive zone shift. Um, has McDonough looked the part of a player who might be able to challenge for a roster spot next season? Yeah, I mean, I still think that he's probably more like, likely to start Nabbits for next season, and, and I don't think that's a problem, but he's shown enough to where I'm like, okay, this guy's potential. He could be somebody who provides uh, NHL value down down the road, especially because the first thing that stood out right from his uh, his debut was, okay, yeah, there's room for improvement in his acceleration in, in the, the first couple strides, but overall his pace didn't look as out of place um, as I sort of um, as I sort of imagined, and the other thing that's translated really well is, I think in the offensive zone, his hockey sense in understanding, first of all, in the forecheck, trying to anticipate where the puck might be going next. Um, so he's not necessarily the guy who's you know the F one applying pressure, but sort of the forward high who is who's able to sort of read to how the def- how the opposing defensemen are like which way they're trying to funnel the puck. He's been able to sort of be effective in the forecheck in that sort of way. And then on top of that, when the club has had cycle shifts, he has an innate understanding of where to park himself, like whether it's in the high slot, whether it's close to the net. Um, He seems to know how to make himself open, which I think is a really important skill to show that can translate at an NHL level. And honestly, I'm, I would love to see him uh, maybe even get some reps with somebody like Connor Garland, right? Because mm. the, the way that his game is suited right now, he needs somebody that can get him the puck once he's open, somebody who can make high-end plays. Like, you look at the goal that he scored, right? It required an exceptional sort of pass that we don't usually see, see out of Sheldon Drys across the crease. And I just don't think that, you know, with, with whether it's Drys or Stanika that there's that natural playmaker to sort of feed McDonough the puck. And that's where um, you also have Connor Garland sort of in the bottom six. I'd love to see um, if, you know, those two guys can develop any sort of chemistry together because um, Garland's always looking for that guy in the slot. He's always looking for somebody who has that, uh, who can find that, um, find that area in and around the slot. So I'd be, I'd love to see if, um, if, if they can give that a shot down the stretch here because um, I've, I've liked what I've seen from McDonough, but I'd like to see him get a little bit more opportunity. You know, you think about successful NCAA UFAs that the Canucks have signed, right? And and Tanev's playing Stanley Cup playoff games in his first year. Troy Stetcher spent, what, a half week on the farm and then was an NHL player. Um, you know, you, you think about we did the comparables or I did the comparables at The Athletic today and, and the guys that I had for... McDonough, you know, Ryan Malone and um, uh, I can't remember the low-end comp off the top of my head, but, uh, oh, uh, Ryan Jones. Like, those are guys who played the first year coming out of college. Uh, If Hirose and McDonough aren't among the last cuts at training camp next season, how much will that ding your view of what they could contribute at the NHL level? For Hirose more so, for sure. Um, Especially, again, he's already going to be 24 so he needs to sort of be at that position mcdonough too i think the idea of him at least sort of being somebody who makes it uh makes it difficult kind of does what linus carlson did for example uh at this past training camp where for a while it looks like okay this guy's challenging but then ultimately sent down 
Um, like that's, yeah, like that's what you definitely want to see out of McDonough. And, and once, and if he does go down, you want to see a player who is like, not just contributing, but is like one of, one of the best players in Abbotsford. I think if, if McDonough goes down, um, you know, hopefully plays a significant PP one role really, really becomes one of the, um, top forwards driving offense and, and putting up a lot of points because you're right. There isn't, um, there isn't a lot of runway uh, in his um, left in, in his, uh, in his development, but he's at, also at a point where hopefully down in, uh, in Abbotsford with, um, you know, Mackenzie Braid, their skating coach, for example, is really highly regarded. Like that could be an op- opportunity, hopefully for him to sort of work on that acceleration so that in short order, he can start to, um, you know, whether it's mid season or, you know, um, or, or at the end of the year, sort of be a player that can pro- provide uh, NHL games. You know, to your point about McDonough maybe needing a little bit more opportunity, harm. Like, obviously, we've talked a lot about the minutes that the top end players are logging for the Canucks. And from Talkett's perspective, do you think that's simply a matter of, hey, coaches are hardwired to want to win games even when the team is out of the playoffs and he's leaning on the guys who he thinks can help him win games? Or do you, is there possibly an element of sending a message that, you know, to guys lower on the roster, I'm not going to give you ice time just because we're out of it. You have to show me that you've earned it and that you deserve more opportunity. It's both, right? I, I think um, we know that. I, I think this this team's trying to sort of, I, I think build build some hope down the stretch by by winning some uh, by winning some games. Ever since Talkit has taken over, and that's clearly been apparent in their usage of not only the top guys but Thatcher Demko as well. Uh, and the other side of it too is, yeah, I mean, talk it straight up said that he's not going to gift young players ice time just because, uh, just because they're young. So, you know, I think that's part of it, but then, you know, you also look at, for instance, I think last night, what Leas Patterson played 24 minutes, uh, JT Miller was well above 20 as well. Uh, it, it, you know, I, McDonough's consistently been below 10. Like even when it comes to some of these young players, uh, even when it was pod Colson earlier, um, uh, earlier, uh, before he uh, went down with injury, a, a lot of a lot of the sort of discussion was not just like nobody's saying that these guys need to these young guys need to be playing 15, 16 minutes a night, getting top six minutes. It's okay. It's just can you even reallocate some of those minutes to where those guys are playing 10 on the 12 minutes? Right. We're not talking a, a massive bump to where you might be all of a sudden putting a guy in a position. Um, where he's out of place or anything, I still think there's room, um, even if you take this approach that we're not just going to gift young players minutes to where I would like to see McDonough closer to, you know, 11, 12, maybe even 13 minutes as opposed to 7, 8. Do you think one of the takeaways for Canucks management, Harmon, will be, you know, after seeing Rick Tockett come in with the goal of spreading the minutes around a little bit more and then realizing pretty quickly that, you know what, to win games, I have to... Uh, I have to lean on my top guys. Do you think that sends a pretty clear message to Canucks management that the depth at the bottom end of the roster needs a significant overhaul this summer? Absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't even think that they should necessarily need, um, like, I don't think it's necessarily this, this stretch that should have um, been needed for that message to be received. I mean, you're seeing, like, look at all the outstanding individual seasons we've seen from uh, from guys at the top end of the roster, right? Pedersen's on the cusp of reaching 100 points. Andre Kuzmenko sort of came out of nowhere and is close to 40 goals. Quinn Hughes is, is playing at a Norris Trophy-type level. Um, 
Uh, even JT Miller has rebounded and is right around the point per game mark. I mean, a lot of the top guys, um, especially the, the Pedersen, Hughes, Hughes and Kuzmenko have been enormously productive. And yet, despite those elite performances, we've seen what's happened in terms of the record. So I think that alone tells you sort of tells management all, uh, all they need to know in terms of um, how important it is for them to be able to, to fortify uh, the depth of, of this uh, roster. How hard is that going to be to do, Harmon, given this team's cap situation? It's not going to be easy, and that's where they're going to have to rely, like, rely as well on, um, you know, some, like, even among the forward group, hoping that some guys can take um, an, an internal sort of uh, step when you look at players like Nils Hoaglander, right? Um, you know, that has to be a, a hope. Um, maybe, maybe even you get uh, lucky and, lucky and um, you know, I'm not, I'm not expecting this, but if a player like Achu Ratu has a, has a huge summer and comes back and is all of a sudden challenging to, um, you know, potentially be your third-line center, like, or, or at least even if it's not necessarily as, your three, necessarily as your 3C, like be somebody who can provide any NHL value down the middle. Like those are the sorts of things that I think would, would, go, uh, would go a long way towards helping them because, yeah, they don't have a lot of room to, to maneuver, right? Like we're having, we've had this conversation about even, you know, the backup position and, um, and, and whether the Canucks, you know, need to, need to fortify it. And it's like I'm looking at the fact that they've got probably at least two major needs before that like how can we even have this conversation before we've we've figured out that they even have the flexibility to 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 sign a guy right so that's that's where they've got a lot of work to do and and it's it's going to be a real challenge and they're going to have to um have to get creative hey as we look ahead to the uh, the end of the season next week Harm, uh, there's going to be a ton of interest in hearing what Canucks management has to say at their year-end availabilities. What are your kind of the, the things you're most curious to learn or to hear from uh, management when they do speak at the end of the season? Yeah, I'd be curious to know if they, for starters, give us any sort of insight into buyouts, like right. if, if that's on the table uh, going into the summer. I'd be curious to, to sort of hear if they tip their hand any, in any way in terms of um, giving us insight into how they view their priorities in terms of like what like what's number one on their list is it a top four defenseman is it a third line center um, because who knows maybe they only have the cap space to make a significant investment for one of them and they have to go the bargain cheaper route to fill the other needs so it, it'd be interesting to know if we get any clues into what might be a, a bigger priority uh, those are the two biggest things that stand out. And then, of course, you know, if they – I'm sure that, like, they, it'd be nice if they gave some sort of clarity on how they view the future of JT Miller and whether, you know, it's, it's kind of been this flip-flop, right? Um, in the summer, they go, go out and extend him, um, you know, show that he's going to be a big part of the future. And then there was all that noise around the trade deadline. Um, obviously, his um, – his next contract in NMC is going to kick in kick in on July first. Um, I'm going to be really curious to, uh, to to hear what what they have to say about uh, Miller's future as well. Harmon, really appreciate the time. Thanks as always. We'll chat soon. Cheers, guys. That is Harmon Dial covering the Canucks, also along with Drance at the Athletic. Always enjoy uh, hearing from 
Harmon about what's going on uh, with the team. And you're talking a little bit about what he wants to hear from Canucks management when they do speak to the media at some point after the season. It's going to be a really interesting one. We've had a lot of interesting press conferences over the last 18 months or so uh, in Vancouver. That one's going to be fascinating. I, I would as like well. more interesting games, less interesting press, press conferences. conferences. Yeah. That's I mean, my, I think you that's... enjoy the press conferences too, but yeah, it would be nice to have them sprinkled in with some interesting games. I, I, I really don't. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. Uh, there was a lot. There's always a lot of press conferences at the end of a really failed season, right? Which is why, like, the season-ending presser where it's like you start. I, I always think about Trevor Linden's first off season as president, right? Where he had the "I've taken over" press conference, mm-hmm. right? Then he had the uh, "I've decided to fire Torts" press conference. Then he had the "I've hired Jim" press conference, and then he had the "I've hired Willie" press conference. And it's like, that's five. You know, I, I, last summer we had the end of year one, and that was kind of it because we didn't really know what, like, um, they, they ended up bringing back Bruce Boudreaux, and that wasn't announced in a presser because Boudreaux wasn't in town, right? Right. And, and so that was, like, relatively straightforward. Um, but this year, it's been a ton of them, right? We had the Tanner Pearson press conference, then we had the... Rick Tockett press conference, and then Bruce we're going to have Boudreaux. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah Boudreaux and Tockett rolled into one. Well, yeah. but but Boudreaux, uh, a whole world worth of highly emotional press availabilities. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sick of these. I don't, I don't want them anymore. I want, <laughs> I want meaningful hockey, and not in March, <laughs> but when hockey is actually meaningful. Yeah, uh, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Ramsey and Langley text in. I'm just wondering when we will find out the cap increase for next season uh, is that in the off season when it's released it's usually like two days before free agency days before free agency basically which is wild and this year it's going to be doubly complicated i'd expect yeah so unfortunately you know teams us everyone is not going to have a lot of clarity on that although i will say it sounds like we're basically talking about either a million or two million so we're not really looking at a potentially wild swing, right? It's a it's a narrow band. Yes, it's uncertainty, but there's you kind of have two options, and they're not that far off. Although obviously a million dollars can end up counting for a lot once you get there. But yeah, Ramsey, to answer your question, it's typically just a few days before free agency when the NHL makes it official. Uh, we're gonna have an update from Canucks practice for you next. Uh, some of the line combinations. Uh, we'll see if any audio comes in from Rick Tockett or from players. I was really curious to see what practice would look like today uh, after the comments that Rick Talk- Rick Tockett had yesterday. So we'll chat a little bit about that. Uh, we've got 10 minutes of positivity coming up as well at 1.15, which I'm always looking forward to. And at 1.30, Jeff Merrick is going to join the show. Keep texting in 650-650. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at D-L-E-A-M-C.com and 650-650 
is the Dunbar Lumber text line. 10 minutes of positivity coming up uh, in 15 minutes. You can get your submissions in to the Dunbar Lumber text line if you want to contribute. Help Drant stretch out yeah, his why, allotted why time would a little you? bit. Why would you? <laughs> um, this one, uh, this text comes in. Uh, just before we get to the update from practice from Lee Fader Steve, if the Canucks finish where we are now, eighth from the bottom, what percentage do we get in the Bedard sweepstakes? That's from six. Lee Fader Steve. It is a six percent chance. And uh, last it, night, it was I mean, mu- it was a must lose. It was. It truly was. I, not to start ten minutes of positivity early here, but with Philly and St. Louis, or sorry, not Philly, uh, St. Louis beating Philly and Detroit beating Montreal yeah. and the Canucks losing I in mean, regulation. You would have like, you would have loved some three point games, but yeah, Philly and St. Louis being a three point game would have been all right. So so I used to go to movies a lot. I don't go to movies a lot anymore, but I used to go to movies a lot. And what I'd do is I'd wait for the really bad trailer, like mm-hmm. the really bad trailer, the unjustifiably bad trailer, not not the works of art like Barbie. Have you seen the new Barbie trailer? I, I have. It's yeah, it's so good. Um, but like the really bad trailers. And then I'd just go in the most like sardonic voice I could muster. Must miss. <laughs> That was your movie theater bit. I loved it. Sure. It was so good. And uh, That is so in character. <laughs> Just like rubbing your hands together waiting for this stinker <laughs> so you can drop your one-liner. <laughs> yeah, like I, I remember I dropped one um I dropped one a long time ago like when I was in my early 20s and it was the, the trailer for GI Joe The Rise of the Cobra. Amazing. And I got the whole theater laughing and I was like, "Yeah, nailed it." <laughs> Oh my goodness! Um, I'm uh, I'm taking. Uh, so, you're saying you were going to movies a lot. This is off topic, but whatever. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, I'm taking my five year old to her first movie theater experience on Friday, uh, which is the going to be the Super Mario Brothers. Oh, movie, I'm, so I'm really stoked to see for that. It. Yeah, and uh, I was reading some reviews of it. It's not getting great reviews, and one of them was like, "Oh, this will only appeal to children and people who love the Mario games." I was like, "Great." <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two people who are going in my party, so that sounds awesome to me. I'm it's like, is that supposed to be a dig at the movie? That sounds pretty cool. I'm shocked that the Mario movie's not good. Like, I'm I'm stunned really? by that. Really? I'm not. It's an adaptation of Super Mario. Like, I'm sure it's going to be fun for kids, but, like, were you expecting it to be good? I was, yeah. I, I am not. My expectations are extremely low, but I, I'm excited. I, I, still think, I still think critics just don't get it. Just don't get Mario. Yeah. They, they just don't get Mario. All of their reviews are must-miss. Anyway... Must miss, must lose, Canucks But game. yes, so Canucks now are four points behind both St. Louis and Detroit. They do have a game in hand with uh, over St. Louis. St. Louis only has four games remaining. The other thing is, though, both of those how teams... About that? How about that? But Can we just take a second O'Connor and talk Bedard. about that oh, Bedard man. goal? Woo! He's really good. Lifelong Canucks fan from North Vancouver, but character and structure mattered more. He's really, really good. So, oh, you know... At some point, I moved on from just, like, dwelling on how ridiculous what this team has done over the last two months was. Did you? Well, I stopped talking about it every day. (laughs) We'll check the tapes on that. (laughs) You think I kept bringing it up? From time to time. Well, that's because it's so preposterous. Like, now we're at the end of the season. And now we're seeing regression in terms of this team's form. And we're realizing that, like, structure and culture doesn't get built in garbage time. Surely. Not not that we needed to know that, not that we didn't know that previously, but now now surely after last night we all know that for real. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. <laughs> but meanwhile, Bedard 
destroying Swifty it's personally. Like somehow elevating his game even more in the playoffs. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like he's already has this like historic, never before seen WHL season, and then he's found another level so far in the playoffs. And like there was absolutely a world. Like the thing about the Canucks and their and their habit of moping, right? Mm-hmm. Is on the one hand. If you spend six weeks talking about culture and structure and then play like you have the last week and especially last night, it's like, come on, guys. You haven't put that behind you. But they could have leaned into it two months ago. Like, there was a real world where they could have absolutely been in the mix with Montreal right now. Yeah. A hundred percent. And instead, we've seen them ride the wheels off their best players and play Demko an astounding amount. He made, what, 13 and 17 starts. Mm-hmm. There was no reason for any of this. You could easily have 70 points right now, and we, and we'd be talking about, you know, 7.5% odds or or what have you. And it would make a huge difference. It's among the, among the list of things that this organization has done that are astoundingly arrogant, this is, like, number one on the list. The, the the belief that the Canucks have that no other team in the league shares, no one else, that winning down the stretch matters more than juking your lottery odds as much as possible. Just one of the most heinous things. And, you know, to come back to the arrogance point, how is it justified? Well, if, if you've ever played a game, you know athletes don't intentionally lose, as if that's not completely squirreling the point. Just don't do stuff that doesn't make sense. A good rule of thumb. Yes, indeed. you don't. You don't. You don't need to have played a thousand NHL games to have a basic sense of probability. What an insult! Uh, so now the Canucks, as I said, four points behind St. Louis and Detroit. Those teams are going to have the tiebreaker as well. So it's really more like a five-point gap between those teams. Only two points behind Washington, which is really, speaking of juking their lottery odds, really stormed down in well, but, uh, to the bottom. But 10. Brian McClellan has a plan. So eight. Or nine, looking uh, like, like an extremely likely spot for the Canucks to be drafted. Is there a year. team with more interest in getting as high up the draft order as they can as, as a Washington Capitals team that will feel uniquely comfortable selecting the top four talent most likely to fall? Matt Vimichkov? Like, is there another team that has as much mm. stake at stake in falling as far down the draft order? And they're doing it. They certainly are. They've been one of the worst teams in the NHL for uh, for the last couple of months. Uh, 6.50, 6.50, keep your thoughts coming in. I did want to get in this update from Canucks practice. Uh, as mentioned earlier in the show, per our own Randy Janda, no Quinn Hughes on the ice for the Canucks. And as a result, the D pairings without Quinn Hughes that the Canucks are rolling out at practice, uh, pretty interesting in a sense. Jack Rathbone and Ethan Bear. Akito Hirose and Tyler Myers and Cole McWard and Kyle Burrows rounding out the defense core for your Vancouver Canucks at practice today. And over the last, I don't know, eight seasons or so, there's been some really classic, if you want to call it that, tanky Canucks blue lines that have been rolled out. That one is up there. Well, Cole McWard. That one is up there. Cole McWard on the left side. Yes. And uh, if you if you missed it yesterday, it was announced officially during the game. The Canucks signed Cole McWard uh, as an NCAA free agent out of Ohio State, signed him to a two-year ELC. I was a little surprised that he was reporting to the Canucks and not to Abbotsford, but I guess that's probably part of enticing him to leave school early, early is yep. giving him that carrot of the NHL game right away. I know Darren Drager was reporting 
uh, today that he's likely to make his debut against Chicago tomorrow. So signed and getting right into the lineup. And we will see. We will wait to hear about what Quinn Hughes' status is. But I was kind of wondering who's going to come out. Uh, it doesn't look like, you know, if Quinn Hughes isn't able to go, it doesn't look like anyone will have to be scratched. Uh, McWard will find a way to get in there. But, yeah, there it is. Rathbone Bear, Hirose Myers, Cole McWard, and Kyle Burrows, the defense pairs, at practice today. And not a ton of changes uh, from the Canucks at forward. I was a little curious to see how... Rick Tockett reacted to a, a performance he was really disappointed in uh, and whether he would kind of mix up the lines to a significant degree. You know, I'm a, people are texting him like, oh, bench Miller or whatever. I wasn't expecting that. But really the only change is that Bouvillier moves back up with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. Joshua moves down with Oman and Garland. Uh, and everything else is the same at Ford. I, I, I thought we might see. Now, this isn't a game day skate or anything, so we could still see more lineup shuffling tomorrow ahead of the Chicago game. But I thought we might see a little bit more uh, of a of a mix up from Tockett today at practice. So Bovillier gets two goals, both tap-ins created by his line mates in his limited run with the Oman Garland line, a line that I kind of liked, by the way. Like I thought they had moments, but what Bovillier now has two goals in his last eleven games, five points in his last eleven games. I think we are getting a good solid crash test in what it looks like when. X guy who's succeeding alongside Pedersen doesn't get to play alongside Pedersen. I still want to see it with Andre Kuzmenko. I, I still think that's an important thing for this team to know. Like if, if they really believe that Kuzmenko can drive offense, like then there are games where it would be useful to have him fatten your attack, right? Like the way that you're able to attack yeah. your forward lines. I don't, I, I I'm fading it. I don't think he can do it, but I'd like to see them give it a look. Yeah, it's uh, again. It comes back to what what's the goal for these remaining games? Is it to experiment? Is it to learn different things from different configurations, or is it to just put what you think your best lineup is out there and and try to win games, no matter uh, you know any way which any which way you can? Yeah. And well, it, it's and been I liked the latter. It. I liked it when we saw them experiment with like Joshua. Like I gave them a lot of praise yeah. for the way they handled that uh, in St. Louis, for example. But um, but now you're back to just rolling out a lineup that I think probably approximates what they feel are their 12 best forwards. And then, you know, it's a little different on defense, but also the team's super banged up. So, I mean, this might be their best defense at the moment, too. Well, um, it is. It's like it's their healthy guys. Yeah. And you're going to play Demko against Chicago and then again against Calgary. Yeah, probably. And then two of the th remaining three for, uh, yep. for Delia. That's probably how it's setting up yeah but no this is their like these are their healthy defensemen they don't really have a choice in who they're rolling out on the blue line <laughs> no yeah <laughs> right, right now so uh, hey uh, that 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 part of it i don't i don't like so much like i really i really do think they they tried some things but i don't think they experimented nearly as much as they could have um they weren't really in the lab down the stretch and and no. i think as a result you've got a lot of unanswered questions like can kuzmenko succeed away from elias Pettersson? we still don't know that and given the contract that they've handed out to him, I think that's, um, you know, a, a pretty misguided bit of player usage down the stretch. Uh, just before we get into uh, 10 minutes of positivity here, we have a few minutes before we kick that off. As I mentioned when we were talking to Harm, you uh, you guys have been breaking down the Canucks prospect system at the Athletic today and or this week. And today you published the 
NHL comps for some of the Canucks' top forward prospects. Really encourage you to go check out the article. Uh, you know, often when there are kind of deep dives into the Canucks prospect system, it can end up being pretty grim. But I actually think there's, like, I understand the nature of the exercise is kind of best case, worst case, high end, low end here. But I do think there's a lot of interesting nuggets from the article. Uh, what stood out or kind of maybe something that uh, that clicked for you that hadn't about the Canucks prospects in putting together this article. Well, I think the main one is the Aturatu. Like Aturatu has some really strong comps and and I think the example is worth considering because so many of these guys who go on to be, you know, stud NHL players, like it takes them a long time. Mm. Right? Like guys don't arrive when they're second round picks or even late first round picks and have the sort of success that like a Wyatt Johnston has had for the Dallas Stars this year very often. And I know the league's getting younger, but it's worth remembering just how long it can take for a player to arrive. And and so the the comp that I have for Aturatu is JT Miller, and I'm sure pe- the high-end comp anyway is JT Miller, and I'm sure people will furrow their brow and be like, they're nothing alike. But it's like, they're both lefties. They're similar frame. Miller didn't have the question marks about his skating. Um... And was seen as more of a playmaker where Ratu is more of a shooter. But, I mean, JT Miller's draft plus two season, like, you think about Ratu, 15 games in the NHL, three points, right? JT Miller, at the same age, um, 26 games in the NHL, four points, right? Uh, Ratu, 25 uh, points in 47 games in the American League. Uh, JT Miller in his first AHL season, 23 points in 42 games in the American League. And, like, the next season... JT Miller has six points in 30 games in the NHL and splits time between the NHL and the AHL. The next season, he still splits time between the AHL and the NHL and isn't even point per game at the age of 23. And we all know what's happened since, but it's a worthwhile indicator, right? Like, for me, number one takeaway, the very fact that Ratu at this age is already playing NHL games makes him overwhelmingly likely to be an NHL player because 20 year olds just don't tend to make it this fast. That's the most interesting similarity to me. It's just like, Hey, you can play credibly in the NHL at this age. It's not the best thing for your development necessarily, or to help our team win, but it's not like a ridiculous notion. You know what I mean? At this age, right? NHL coaches are willing to give you games. That says a lot about where you're at. And for the most part, like 80 plus percent of the players in my data set who were who were a match for Ratu's, you know, uh, physical size and production at this age go on to have meaningful NHL careers. Now, there's a lot of guys like Jacob Delarose who play like 250 games and, and bounce around his fourth liners in that sample. But there's also a lot of guys like Mike Fisher and mm. Alex Wenberg and JT Miller and M- Mika Zibanejad and um, Ryan Johansson and on and on down the list. Like, there's a lot of real NHL comps. He is far and away. Like, it's not close. He is Vancouver's number one prospect, both from a ceiling and a floor perspective, by a country mile. And before I really went through the comparables exercise, like me and Harmon were wrestling with LeCaramaki and Ratu, once I'd done, once I'd gone through the data, once I'd really built my data set and looked at it, it wasn't close. It was like slam dunk, Atu Ratu, far and away Vancouver's best prospect. Yeah, it, it's an interesting way of looking at it, especially the note about uh, the importance of making 
the NHL at such a young age and what that says about your ten- your potential and your likelihood to have a long career in the NHL. And as Harmon was saying, you know, Ratu is going to be a really interesting player uh, to watch what he does next season, how he comes in to training camp. All right, it is 1.15. That means it's time for our favorite segment, my favorite segment, certainly. Uh, it is 10 minutes of positivity here on Canucks Talk. I feel like I'm at Augusta. Just calm, soothing music. Could hear Jim Nance narrating a putt right now uh, behind that music. I will start today. And by the way, you can get uh, your thoughts in 650, 650, your positive thoughts about the Vancouver Canucks. I know you, you, we touched on it really quickly when we were talking about how the game went uh, last night, but I do just want to give a shout out. Like, even in a really dismal performance where the team looked checked out, the coach was really upset afterwards, there was an incident with a player leaving the bench early. Like, if your number one goal is just to sit down and watch hockey and see some cool stuff happen, you got to see that. Like, that finish by Elias Pettersson was fantastic. That was a really, really cool, smart, intelligent play. And again, I'm not saying, and therefore you should be satisfied with the state of the Canucks or anything like that. But to me, it was just like, hey, I got to see a a really, really great player do something really cool to score a goal. I got to cheer for that. It's more of a reminder to me, more so than anything specifically about the Canucks, just like hockey's really cool. Lots of cool stuff happens in hockey. There's a reason we all really enjoy watching the sport. And I would put the the play from Connor Garland to Anthony Beauvillier in that category as well. Like that was an awesome pass by Connor Garland uh, and it's just a really smart, clever play. So shout out to the game of hockey. Even when your team is not playing well, there's these moments, these flashes of creativity, these flashes of brilliance and excitement. Uh, and those two really stood out to me maybe even more so because of what the rest of the effort from the Canucks looked like. But shout out to the plays by Elias Pettersson and Connor Garland last night, despite the loss. That Connor Garland shot fake was so cool. It was great. There was so much juice on the pass over to Beauvillier, too. Like, that was like a slap shot. It wasn't like a slap pass. It was like a slap shot that he directed to his own player. Well, and, and Martin Jones, like, wasn't even in the frame. (laughs) <laughs> by the time no, Beauvillier no, he put completely that, sold out. Like, I would refer to that as the mother of all shot fakes. I don't think I've ever seen a shot fake quite so effective. Um, Here's my moment of positivity. Jack Rathbone, playing well. That's it. Like, I'm not going to go over a few steps. Sure. I'm just saying he's had a really tough year. I think the relationship has been strained between player and organization at times. In some ways, he's taking himself a little bit off the radar as as a top prospect. He wasn't in our top five because he's reached that age where the fact that he's continuing to play in the AHL and isn't necessarily being fed like toughs is, you know, deeply concerning to me. I, I think the most likely path this, this takes is that he ends up on waivers next season, like in the summer or after training camp. So, uh, you know, restrained praise here, but he looks to me like an NHL defenseman. I think he's played well. Like, I, I, I watch him play. I'm like, this guy moves well. You know, we don't see a ton of offense from him. He, he doesn't play on the power play a mm-hmm. ton. So, so you know, he's not being fed, like, the best opportunities. But he can move the puck well. He can move. He can skate well. I think he's got some fire in his body and uh, his belly in terms of the physicality in his game. He's looked like an NHL player to me. Good for him. 
Uh, this text comes in immediately. I was going to send a message asking what Thomas thought of Rasbone because I haven't really heard his take on him. Nice. Yeah, again, it, it, like I don't know that it's changing what his future in the NHL, or at least with the Canucks, looks like, but it's a, it's been a credible series of performances. It just seems like he's not this management's guy, right? They did sign him to a, a two-year extension at the end of last year, but for whatever reason, he, he doesn't seem to have been in their plans this year. I don't know if that's going to change going forward, but still good to see uh, Rathbone getting another chance at the NHL and doing what he can with it. Uh, some of your thoughts coming in. Uh, this one from uh, Unsigned says, Talkit appears to know how to manage up. That's very positive. And yeah, I mean, I was talking about it in the first segment. I've been really impressed with how Rick Talkit has handled the public-facing parts of the job, right? Like, obviously, we heard a lot about his ability as a communicator and his ability to connect with players when he was hired I can't comment on that and on how he's dealing with those relationships and building those relationships with the players but the public facing stuff I think he's done a really good job of being honest but also being fair right and even when he has been critical you know we all know like what it can sound like when John Tortorella or some other coaches is critical of a player it can get a little harsh. It can get to the point where you wonder, like, oh, man, is that going to affect the player's confidence? Talking, I think, strikes a really good balance of being direct, not pulling his punches, uh, without it feeling like piling on, without it feeling like he's taking gratuitous shots at a player. And then, you know, to the texture's point about managing up, I, I do wonder how much of what Rick Tockett has seen of this roster and the way he's choosing to use this roster as a message both to the players but also to management about the deficiencies, right? The, the depth that still needs to be added uh, to allow him not to play Quinn Hughes and JT Miller and Elias Pettersson uh, so much. I, I, I do think there's an element there, right? Where it's kind of a commentary about what still needs to be done to this team. 650, 650. Uh, this one, Rogers Arena is getting a seat upgrade next season. Certainly seems like it. Well, that's what season ticket holders are being. Certainly told. seems like it. Um, I, I got to admit, I'm nervous about this. About the seat upgrade, why? The locker room overruns that forced mm. the Canucks to spend all of you know extended training camp into the preseason once they returned from Whistler out at UBC, where like I'd go out early because we'd be doing the show right, and I'd be sitting in the stands because training camp practice time is like inviolable to me. Like I need to see what's going on if I'm going to have any feel for a team. I really get a lot out of the month leading up to the season. Um, and so I'd go and I'd watch the UBC girls team practice. And first of all, really high quality athletes. Secondly, they had a really cool end of practice drill where they'd play like cool music and play mm -hmm. an area game that was like pretty intense in terms of the stop starts and just like absolutely crushed the ice sheet. Yes. And then there'd be like a quick scrape or or uh, it would quickly get... um. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Flooded. Mm -hmm. And then the Canucks would come on and I could audibly hear Canucks players and coaches complaining about the ice. And I'm like, yeah, of course. I just watched a bunch of really talented women cut up the ice playing an area game while while listening to like Aqua. Like, of course this sucks. It wasn't close to NHL caliber. Like, not close, Jamie. Not close. And I don't think this team can afford... To have that sort of level of, like, 
preparation disorganization in the lead up to next season, particularly given how much skepticism there is about their ability to start on time and the stakes for everyone involved in making sure that the club is, you know, ready to go from the moment the puck drops in, in game one of the regular season. Like, I'm really nervous about this team, you know, going through something similar, a similarly discombobulated um, preparation in the lead up to the season. Uh, see, I was just going to say I don't care too much about the color of the seats. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. No, uh, but a lot of people do. Sorry, I think I, a I, lot of people do. I think I don't think the maroon looks good. You know what I'd yeah. love to see, by the way? You know how in soccer arenas, how they like spell out words in the seats? Yeah. Like the Ted Lasso intro. Yeah. I think it would be really cool if the Canucks had something like that in the upper or lower bowl. I think the the photos we take during warm-up uh, or uh, practices and, and morning skates would look amazing. My positive spin on the seat thing is I don't care about it. and I, I, I've never really understood the fascination with it, but I'm ha- I know I'm in the minority on that. I know I'm out of step. With a lot of Canucks fans. So if the upgrade does come, I am happy for the people who have been clamoring for it for years. Because they certainly have been. And me too, but this organization needs to make sure they're not in the team's way come the start of the season. Uh, That's going to do it for 10 Minutes of Positivity. Jeff Merrick of the Jeff Merrick Show is coming up next. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. There we go. And we're back to your regularly scheduled programming after that matches update. It is Canucks Talk. Sportsnet 650, Jeff Merrick will be joining us momentarily. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Always looking forward to uh, getting Jeff Merrick on the show, we'll chat with him a little bit about uh, the Canucks and and Rick's ta- Rick Tockett's comments, but also uh, I want to talk to him about the Calgary Flames. What a loss, Trancer. What a loss by Calgary to the Chicago Blackhawks last night. I guess I shouldn't be surprised given how Calgary has just like relentlessly refused to get out of their own way this season. But man, I really thought they would find a way to get that win and, and set up some real stakes with Winnipeg well, tonight. And what, they've won for their last five, but... When you have no margin for error, you have yeah, no somebody, margin for I, error. I called it a choke job in the first it was segment, a choke and job. somebody texted in, like, well, they've won four of their last five, but, like, the one loss did, sticks out in did, a pretty bad way. Did you watch that third period? I don't know what else you'd call it. It was really bad. Uh, to talk about that and more, joining us now, one of our favorites, he's the host of the Jeff Merrick Show, also on the 32 Thoughts podcast. He is Jeff Merrick. Jeff, thank you as always. How are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you guys doing today? We're doing pretty well. Uh, Rick Tockett gave us some red meat to chew on <laughs> after the game last night. Who? Yeah. We're, we're not playing out the string anymore. We're talking about what the coach has to say. In case you were worried that things had settled down around the Vancouver Canucks, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> things have never settled down around. They, they, this season can't end soon enough. Um, you know, it's funny, too, because Rick Tockett wasn't the only one. You know, the, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, right now in the Eastern Conference is sort of playing, you know, rotating assistant coaches going behind the bench, um, which is an interesting dynamic, whether it's, you know, Shaw or now Thompson. And, and Rocky Thompson essentially uh, said the same thing after getting doubled up by the St. Louis Blues. You know, like, you know, some of these guys aren't here to play. So who wants to play high? I'm paraphrasing Rocky Thompson from last night. So um, Rick Talk is not the only one who's uh, – who's not just interested here in, in playing out the string. Although, you know, for, for both these teams, and I know that there's still something to glean for younger players and mm. et cetera, et cetera. But, 
you know, I, I think that for both these teams, the uh, this, this season can't end soon enough. Like for for some teams, the season can't end soon enough because all the answers for all the questions about the teams exist in the playoffs, and some just want to get the season done with and then just start to to get to planning for next season. I put Vancouver and I put Philadelphia clearly in both those camps. Uh-huh. I agree with you, but I would have been standing there like I was on the 18th hole at Augusta golf clapping if this is what Vancouver Canucks games had looked like for the last two months, Jeff. (laughs) Instead, they've been on a tear. They've been talking about the importance of structural improvement and culture, and then they still turn in a game like that where some of their best players, um, you know, show zero composure uh, as the game goes along. Um how do you sort of view a team that's been like uniquely all in on ending the year strong, nonetheless coming up against sort of the reality uh, of a hopeless situation and falling back into what we perceive in this market anyway, is like the old habits. Do you, do you not see it though? Is like this team isn't going to, I know the team has played much better, but do you not kind of see it as that it shouldn't be a surprise? Because that same Vancouver Canucks team that we saw turn in, you know, effortless performance after effortless performance, that still exists there. Right. You know, that, that, that's still there. So the fact that they've played better under Tockett and have looked, you know, look, at, at times looked real good under, under Rick Tockett, mm-hmm. the fact that the matter is it's still kind of the same team. So I know it sucks when you see it. And listen, like watching like 40 minutes out of the 60 last night was pretty painful. Like that was a that was a real real tough watch. It was work, you know. It was it was not like okay, this is my job. I'm paid to do this. I gotta watch more of this. Uh, old voices like you know, uh, Clockwork Orange, you know, propping propping the eyelids open to, to, to watch this thing at times. But um, you know, it's you hate to make excuses for millionaires. You really do because yeah. it's so distasteful. But it's hard. Like I get it. It's it, it's hard um, when you're the when you're when you're the Vancouver Canucks or a team that's in Vancouver's situation here. I, I know that there have been the bright spots recently, and the team has been able to 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 try to take themselves out of the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, um, and games mean something towards the end and, and finish on a high note. But I I can't be surprised. Because you still get, like, listen, you still get elite-level teams that throw in clunkers. Mm. I mean, listen, I live just a little bit north of Toronto, and you look at all the teams that they've... Like, everybody thought yesterday, by the way, that Columbus game, Jet Greaves comes in, his first game in the NHL, he's a Cambridge guy a little bit, uh, west of the city of Toronto. I can't tell you how many texts I got just saying, like, 48 saves, Columbus wins 2 <laughs> Because it's, you've, you've seen it a million times. Yeah. So, I... I I, I kind of look at that yesterday. I understand where Rick Tockett is saying. I understand the blast. I still am trying to figure out what JT Miller was doing. <laughs> as he, right? As he exited. As he exited. That's a that's a new one. Uh, okay. I've um, never seen that still, before. I yeah. I mean, just stand up and leave. <laughs> I, I I don't know what to do with it. Like I'm. Uh, uh, it, it's bad talk radio because I'm sort of you know paid to have a take on these types <laughs> of things. I'm just I'm just dumbfounded <laughs> that one. Um, but I, I I can't be I can't be surprised because you know we we've seen this before from from teams down the uh, down the stretch. Maybe he was in the um, same Clockwork Orange conditioning room 
as you were, Jeff, and then he heard Beethoven's Ninth. <laughs> well, I talk about Devotchka's on the bench. So, I, I, I legitimately like. I'm genuinely asking this, and and feel free to tell me it's a it's a little too personalized. I'm gonna. I'm, it's gonna be bad talk radio, but okay. I, I think my, the surprise or not, all I've heard for six weeks in this market is well, you can't possibly ask players to lose, right? You can't ask NHL players to lose this like tepid oh. defense of the team winning games down the stretch and playing JT Miller and Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson uh, as often as they have and starting Thatcher Demko 13 of 17 games. So then when you turn in a bunch of performances in a row like this team has, and and last night's in particular, it's like, you can't? <laughs> you can't because it didn't look to me like a team too proud to to sort of lose games down the stretch when that would be helpful in the big picture. Am I just being I petty it. here? No, I, 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 uh, I mean, this one, it's, it's, how, how, how should I, how should I phrase it? This is a, um, I look at, okay, let me, let me get, let me get really esoteric then. So you want to make this one personal? I'll make this one personal too. I look at hockey teams, much as I look at all sports teams or a lot of things in life. Um, in a sort of Aristotelian way. And that is things exist in two states. They exist in a state of actuality or they exist in a state of potentiality. Mm. And can you ask players to lose? No, No. because they always see themselves in a state of actuality. This is who I am. But as a collection of hockey players with different backgrounds and different experiences and, um, you know, different, you know, levels of um, different levels of experience in the NHL, you're going to look at a team and say either this is who the team is or you're going to look at the team and say this is the beginnings of what this team is going to look like. And if you look at everything in life, not just the hockey team here, I think a lot of it is about managing your expectations. And if your expectations are that legitimate, this team is going to give you the the effort that you want every single time down the stretch when they're out of the playoffs and knowing how you know, emotionally exhausting this season has been, you're going to be disappointed and you're probably going to be a little bit angry as well. Now I'm, um, I'm in a really privileged position. Like I don't have a, I don't have a dog in any fight here. I don't care if the Vancouver Canucks win or the Toronto Maple Leafs win or the Los Angeles Kings win or the Philadelphia Flyers or the Florida Pan. I, I don't care. I just want to see good games so I can kind of exist in this sort of, take sort of a, a pretentious bird's eye view over all of it. And like, I don't get to experience the highs of the high, but I also don't get to experience the lows of the low. Like I exist in this emotionless state. Like I'll sit there and watch hockey games with my wife and she'll be like, are you interested in any of this? Like there's no reaction to any of it. I'm like, yeah, I like it. I'm really enjoying it. And she's like, you haven't smiled. You haven't frowned. You haven't like swore or nothing. Like I, I understand that I have this like, privileged position to watch hockey games again i'm not going to really enjoy anything about hockey other than i'm going to get to watch a, a, some games that i really enjoy mm-hmm. so i i don't look at this vancouver canucks team in the sense that they've actualized into anything that i would want to get emotionally invested in yet because to me they still exist in the state of potentiality and you know you get you know you get shaded by the calgary flames by a puck you get shaded by the St. Louis Blues. 
by a puck. Okay, you get you know you get you know, a little bit clobbered by the by the Seattle Kraken. I kind of look at it and say, well, this is kind of baked into the pie for where the team is at right now. You know, was Frank Zappa's old line, cows don't make ham? You can't expect the team to be what they're not. Like, they can go on hot streaks. They can go on cold streaks. This isn't anywhere close, I don't think. You guys are closer to it than I am. Like, when this team is a consistent, you know, team that makes the playoffs, they're not going to look anything like they look right now. Surely, as Patterson's going to be there. Quinn Hughes is going to be there. But you look at this team, like, for example, when we first started talking about the Washington Capitals, as a team that was going to compete for the Stanley Cup and don't look now, this is Ovechkin and company, and here we go. That was 2010, and they bowed out in the first round against the Montreal Canadiens. Go look at the Washington Capitals roster in 2010. We started talking about them as a good team, and then go look at the roster of the team that actually won the Stanley Cup and see how many of the same players are there. Um, there's, there are, there, there, there's a process that all teams go through as they transition from potentiality to actuality. And through all of it, I always encourage people to sort of pull back and take long view at these things. Otherwise, you're going to be completely disappointed because when a team like the Vancouver Canucks are at the place of their winning cycle or their development cycle where they're at right now, there's going to be a lot of awkward times. And there's going to be like you know, emotionally charged times you're going to go through. And there's going to be a whole lot of disappointment unless you take the long view of all of it and say, I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to agree with a lot of it. Some of it I'm going to get really upset at and I'm going to judge it along the way. And that's all fine. And that's all fair. But are you ready to make the big pronouncement about a team right now when they're not in the actualization phase, they're still in the phase of being a potentially good team one day. How's that? A, a, a far more generous and, and humanistic answer than that question deserved. <laughs> hey. or, or, or is that just Merrick trying to give the Canucks a soft landing for, for, for a couple of really bad games? I feel better, so I think uh, I think it was generous. Let's hey, go with that. Jeff, you know, just to the point about kind of the team being what it is, I wanted to run uh, this comparison past you, and I, I look at what's okay. happened with the Winnipeg Jets kind of going back to last year and then through to where they are right now. And yeah, I get it. They're probably going to hold on by the skin of their teeth and make the playoffs. But, you know, you remember all of the comments and the frustration and the drama that came out kind of towards the end of last season and after the season from Winnipeg. And they bring back basically the same team, make a coaching change. And for a while, while Connor Hellebuck is making saves and they're getting really good goaltending, it looks like things have changed And then when the goaltending dries up, oh, it's kind of back to the original problems with the Winnipeg Jets. And it just feels like as long as that core is that core, you're never going to really get a different Winnipeg Jets team, no matter what kind of coaching change you make. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at with the Vancouver Canucks at this point, too. Um, No, you know what? Because I think at least the the, the Vancouver Canucks still have a lot of – pieces that are going to be with the team in a in a substantial way on the roster like and Drancer Drancer's written about this plenty um Elias Patterson and you know Drancer was on the program with me yesterday and talking about you know listen, signing Elias Patterson is job number one Elias Patterson is going to be a Vancouver Canuck for a long time Quinn mm-hmm. Hughes is going to be a Vancouver Canuck like the 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 the, the point of difference that I would make is mm-hmm. when I look at the Winnipeg Jets right now I see the end of an era I see this is the end of that Winnipeg Jets 
team that we've um, that many of us have been false started on. Like I was one of the dummies that said the best team in Canada last year, Winnipeg Jets. Put up your hand, Merrick. <laughs> like I was one of those one of those guys, right? And then they had that awful season, and we all thought everyone's going to get traded in the summer, and they didn't. Um, but you look at expiring contracts, whether it's Shifley, whether it's Wheeler, whether it's Connor Hellebuck. I listen. We all know what's happening with Pierre Luc Dubois and where he wants to end up, and I think it's only a matter of. You know, when the Winnipeg Jets go to him and say, okay, how do you want to do this? We're about to call Kent Hughes. Um, So I kind of look at this Winnipeg Jets team and say, you know, enjoy seeing double nickels, uh, Mark Shifley, while you can. Enjoy every Connor Hellebuck save um, while, while you see it, because this team is not going to exist. Like Winnipeg cannot afford to let these players walk, right? Mm. There's no way they can let Connor Hellebuck uh, uh, play out his contract. They can't let Blake Wheeler play out his contract, Mark Shifley, etc. They need to get something for them as they start to transition this team, you know, over to, you know, Josh Morrissey um, and uh, Nikolai Ehlers and Cole Perfetti and these types of players. Um, so I think I'm looking at the Winnipeg Jets right now and saying, Whatever run they can go on right now, whatever they can do in their playoffs, enjoy it because it's probably the last you're going to see of this group in the postseason together should they get there. And it almost feels, and I've I've been asking a a lot of people this in the last little while, I'll I'll ask you guys too, it almost seemed as if this slow march to where we're at right now with the Winnipeg Jets and whatever they do in the offseason is whatever they do, kind of began with Dustin Bufflin. Mm. and his exit from the Winnipeg Jets. And I always can't help but thinking to myself, how different would it be? And listen, I know there was conflict. I know that there was you know, Bufflin and Wheeler in the room and all of that. But how different is this Winnipeg Jets team right now if Dustin Bufflin is still on the roster? And I'll, I'll, I'll throw one more question at you. It doesn't seem like there is a, and for me the answer is, is no, it doesn't seem like there is, but does it seem like the Winnipeg Jets as an organization, certainly the, the players, are wound tighter than any other team in the NHL? Like no room for laughter, no room for a giggle, no room for enjoying yourself. Like everything is like every shift is like life or death. It <laughs> seems for the Winnipeg. This team is wound so tight right now. Like and and that's where like, I've never really been a, you know, the, the saying, oh, he's a good guy in the room, have him around, he's a good guy in the room. Well, Merrick, they don't flood the room. Yeah, I get that. I understand that. They don't flood the room. But at the same time, I don't see a whole lot of joy there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mm-hmm. see a whole lot of, I can't wait to get to the rink. It's a whole lot of, like, nervous players and anxious players and everyone's wound really tight, which is too bad because there are exceptional hockey players there. But unlike Vancouver who I still see have like future building blocks right there and like elite level superstars already in Pedersen and Hughes. I don't see that with the Winnipeg jets because it looks like they're still going to shed some, they have, they're going to shed some skin next as they, you know, redevelop this team. Yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, Winnipeg Jeff, and I think the point about Bufflin is an interesting one. and just kind of gets back to the conversation of like the whole concept of culture. It's so difficult to build and it can be so fragile, right? You never know when something is going to happen and you lose that culture you've built. Uh, Speaking of Winnipeg, big game tonight against Calgary could have been a bigger game if Calgary had held up their end of the bargain against Chicago last night. What on earth 
was that performance from the Flames against the Blackhawks? Not Nazem Kadri's finest hour. No. Not Nazem Kadri's finest game. Um, so the Calgary Flames are in the dreaded four-game week, right? So it, it's interesting, too, if you look at, like, I'm always suspicious of teams that win a lot of games, but they're only one-goal games. Now, the positive spin on that is like, oh, look, they're learning how to win one-goal games. That's a playoff score. Look at them learning how to do that. And the flip side of that is, well, as you guys well know, the difference in those games is sometimes, you know, the puck goes off the back of someone's skate or it's off the toe or it's off a heel or it's, you know, it's, you know, a deflection or something goofy. Like that could be the difference in those, in those one goal games. And when you look at how the Calgary Flames have, you know, really had to fight to win their games. Like there are no easy periods right now for the Calgary Flames. I don't want to say that they were, that it's sort of expected that they would lose the Chicago Blackhawks. Like, listen, going into last night's game, the Hawks had lost eight games in a row. Like, it's like, okay, they've been watching the highlights from the Western Hockey League playoffs and watching what Connor Bedard is doing to the Saskatoon Blades and saying, yeah, give me some of that. Thank you very much. Let's, let's move the process along. Um, but it kind of felt like they were due that shocking loss. Like, guys, it almost happened Sunday against Anaheim. Yeah. Right? Like, watching that game, were, were there not parts of that game where you said, holy smokes, like, Anaheim. Like the duck in a, in a must win game for the Calgary Flames here as they try to claw back to a playoff spot. Like Anaheim's going to hand them a loss here to kick off the week. Like <laughs> holy smokes! I think we all looked at that game and Stone and Lucic in the third period and the whole deal and everyone's you know smiles and sunshine and lollipops. But when you play that many close games, it shouldn't come as a surprise when you throw it. And I don't want to call it a total clunker, although it's against Chicago, so you might have to. Um, that was a bad one, but it wasn't an entirely unpredictable one. The one thing you can say about the Winnipeg Jets, who have turned things around since the 3 nothing blanking against the San Jose Sharks and Shifley's talking and, you know, the, the, the coach is, is lipping back. Like, it was a disaster. They have really whipped teams. Like, they're putting up six spots uh, the last two games. Like, they're beating teams. Now, I know they're – catching all their teams on a back-to-back. And here they are tonight, the Winnipeg Jets, catching the Calgary Flames on a back-to-back as well. So fortune is kind of, like, kind of smiling on them a little bit right now. But Calgary's, Calgary's in tough because, again, it's, it's, it's back-to-back. It's a Winnipeg Jets team that's been putting up big points uh, lately. And now they know that with a win tonight, not only do they create a four-point cushion, but they also, uh, with a win tonight, um, they get all the tiebreakers, so it makes it it makes it that much harder for the Calgary Flames. But what happened to Calgary? I can kind of say this one's been coming because it's not as if all of these wins on this little it was a five of the last six yeah. they won. None of them have really been like impressive the way that the Winnipeg Jets have been mowing through teams right now. Jeff, we always really appreciate the time. Thanks for making time for us. Uh, playoffs around the corner. Hopefully, we can chat at some point then. Thanks. Anytime, you boys be good. That is Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show uh, and the 32 Thoughts podcast. The we're, best. We're right up against it. Always love having Merrick on the show. We're up against it, so we'll get out of here. The PDO cast is next on Sportsnet 650.